Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music, and I love those that create it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast featuring Taylor Hawkins. I am Ted Stryker and there's a few things you should know before we get to this audio. I want to get all of this out there. Uh, number one, it's about 30 minutes long. Um, 28 of the minutes, nobody has ever heard this audio before. This interview, and I, I don't even want to call it an interview because it's just, it's a chat. It was Taylor and I. This is back in 2017. We were at Studio 606. We had very, very long microphone cords, and we were sitting on the couch there. And the goal uh, and, and the reason for me being with Taylor was to simply ask him a question about The Sky is a Neighborhood, the song uh, from album number nine of the Foo Fighters, Concrete and Gold. I love the Foo Fighters, man. I love... Taylor Hawkins. I love NHC, his project uh, with Chris Shaney and Dave Navarro. I'm ping-ponging all over, but let me get back to the focus here. So again, the goal was to get like uh, one question about the sky as a neighborhood. And as I was sitting there with Taylor Hawk, just I had had chats with Taylor before, but Dave Grohl was always there or another band member. And this was so exciting for me. I've been in this business miraculously a very long time. I still get nervous. I still get anxious. And driving out to Northridge in Studio 606, I had those butterflies. When Taylor got there and he rode his mountain bike to the interview, by the way, this chat, again, not even interview. It was, let's just discuss the skies and neighborhood. And then we both, you go mountain biking. And then I'm going to go back to my radio station. We ended up just chatting for 30 minutes, and you never know ever, ever when you're going to have your last conversation with somebody professionally, and this was mine. Do I wish I would have asked, like, super deep questions and spent an hour and a half there? And all? Yeah, but in that time and in that moment, that's not what it was, but we, we yap about everything from... Southern California and Alanis Morissette and living in the Valley in Calabasas to the Gallagher brothers and lots of Foo Fighters talk. And it's just, oh man, I'm totally crushed by the loss just like you. On March 25th, um, I was doing my radio show. And if you're new to this podcast, so I'm on the radio every day in LA with my friend Booker, Booker and Stryker on Alt 98.7. I also do a one day a week syndicated show on the weekends. It's on like 35 stations. It's called Out of Order. And that's why initially I was getting this audio in 2017. It was for the weekend show so we could blast the skies and neighborhood and have a nice quote from Taylor Hawkins. So let's get to it. Oh, sorry. One, one, one more thing here. I didn't even realize that I had this audio. I did what I think most people do when you lose somebody, whether it's like a family member, a friend, or someone you know professionally. Like I just started going through my phone and I saw pictures of Taylor and I from different events over the years and different radio things. But I saw us in that studio and it clicked that, oh my God, you, you guys had a chat. So I got the audio, and again, of the 30 minutes here, 
uh, 28 and a half minutes of this have never been released. And I was hesitant on even putting this out now, but after chatting with a bunch of different people, they're like, no, yes, put this out. People want to hear his voice. It's totally full of life. And just before we get to it again, want to send all of our condolences, all our thoughts, our love and positive energy to his family, to his friends and to his bandmates. So without any further ado, this is the late, great Hall of Famer, Taylor Hawkins. Okay. You're going to roll with it. <laughs> got to roll with it, baby. What's up, everybody? It is Stryker. And the last time I was this deep in the valley was many, many, many years ago. This woman dragged me to a party and it lasted way too long. Luckily, I'm not there in that situation. I'm with Taylor Hawkins at Studio 606. Wow, that's quite an intro. Was that a bad so, intro? No, Should I redo good. it? No, it's good. <laughs> who, who was this woman, Striker? She was, I. we went out for four days. Yeah. And um, it was when I was doing things, I should have been more calm in life at the time. Got it. How, I, how old were you? Uh, I, probably, I was in like 31. Oh uh, yeah, you were still still on the cusp. I was allowed to do that. I yeah, think yeah, at that yeah, time. Yeah, thirty one's about the cutoff. Then yeah, you, then you got to start behaving somewhat as a responsible adult, on a certain level. On a certain level. On a certain level. Because I think, and I don't know if you have this, I still have it in me, but oh, I don't yeah. do it. Yeah, exactly. No, I definitely. Um, no, I don't think anyone should tame themselves too much, but just enough to uh, live. Yes. <laughs> and live somewhat happily, you know. It was it easy? I mean, I'm a Southern California born and bred guy to go from Laguna Beach to move to the valley. Um, yeah. It was no, easy. It wasn't. Oh, it wasn't. Okay. No, I'm still kind of coming to terms with it and still not sure if I'm staying or not. We keep threatening to move back down to Laguna. In fact, I think we might eventually. It's just a, it's just, you know, this is where all of our stuff is. Uh, it's where our studio is. It's you know, it's where the music industry, I guess you could say is. Um but now it now we can kind of be I mean, I think we all have visions of, you know, getting out of LA a little bit mm. on a certain level. All of us. Um it's just so freaking crowded now. Everywhere you go, even the quiet neighborhoods are crowded. Yeah, it's crazy. And I never won't, thought I would live in the valley, man. I mean, I used to watch Valley Girl when I was a kid. Yes, of course. Like, you know, uh, and I grew up, you know, on the beach in Laguna and surfing and just being, you know, a beach kid in Laguna. And, like, anybody who came to the beach that we didn't know and they had a certain look, we were like, just go back to the valley. Exactly. Cook. Yes. <laughs> Beat it, Cook. Right. Go back to the valley. You're not wanted here, man. And now I'm from the valley. There was a <laughs> rivalry when I was a kid. If if you were from the valley, uh, I can't hang out with you. Well, no, I remember, I remember, okay, I moved up to L.A. when I was uh, 18. I moved to Venice to try and find the next Jane's Addiction. And to um, play with them, to be part to play of a band with them. that was like them. I just, you know, Perry was up there, and Perry was the the our sort of um, our surf uh, philosopher, beach like philosopher dude, you know, and surfed and played in the killerest band in the world, and uh, <laughs> they all were so rad that we just wanted to be them, you know. They they were the beginning of sort of what I think of as alternative rock. Yes, now. yes. I mean, they really were the. Right there, they were pretty much the beginning. Before a lot of this stuff, they were kind of, I mean, there was college rock before. Anyways, so 
I moved up to Venice, going back to the, the rivalry that you speak of, I moved up to Venice and did what all the musos do. They get the recycler and they start looking at the muso and the music connection back then yes. and BAM magazine right. back then. This is maybe, this is 1990. And, um, you know, I'd look in there and, God, if every ad didn't say, you know, looking for a dude with long hair, rock style, and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it would be no 818ers. <laughs> so, like, don't even call if you're from the Valley. <laughs> and the funny thing is, um, half of Jane's Addiction was from the Valley. Uh, Steve Perkins. Yeah. He's a Valley dude, you know. Um, and now I kind of look at it more romantically, like, you know, this is like I think of a lot of those movies that we watched in the late seventies and early eighties, like For Past sure. Times and Bad News Bears. Bad News Bears and so much of that stuff. And, that, and you watch like Van. There's this movie called Vans. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know that oh, yeah. So now I love it. You know, and it's funny because of one of my best buddies, father-in-law Peter. He was like from Beverly Hills, kind of, but like he totally was like a bad kid, and, and he's a <laughs> surfer, and like. He's totally off the grid, like for real. Like yeah. he's a rad dude. Like, but anyways, um, he was like, "Oh, dude, um, you know, the dudes from the valley drove vans, you know, and this and like Van Halen, and we were like, oh, you guys are so lame." But now he likes vans, right? <laughs> and he lives in Topanga, which is kind of most of the valley. And the valley, for uh, when you reach a certain age, also not only do you not stay up anymore, but you're like, the valley's actually got a lot of cool crap. Well, you and can get anything places. you want. I yes. mean, I remember moving, and so, yeah, so I moved to Venice, then I moved back down to Laguna, back and forth a couple of times, and finally ended up settling in um, Topanga, which isn't really the valley. It's actually the cool part of the valley. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it literally cooler, too, uh, literally. Um, but, you know, I that's when I started, like, kind of getting to know the valley and Woodland Hills mainly and, and that area. And I remember telling my brother down in Orange County, like, God, dude, if I want a burrito at two in the morning, you know, like it really, it kind of is, um, you can get anything you want and there's a lot of space and, uh, on a certain level compared to Hollywood or whatever. And, um, and salt of the earth type folks more yeah. so than in Hollywood too, which is one of the things I like about the Valley is like they, you know, no, 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 you don't see any actors walking around no, the streets. No, there's no the waiters valley. with chips on their shoulders out in the Valley. They're uh, no, waiters it, because they're waiters. Yeah, they're waiters because they're waiters. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's a certain charm to that as well. Now, Definitely. you know, I think we probably both come to that realization the older you get. Hundred I mean, you know. percent. So I love the valley and I love it and I mountain bike all over these mountains here and I love it here. But you're uh, in mount you're in bike riding gear. I can see the shorts under the shorts. Did you, you didn't bike ride to here? Yeah, I rode my mountain bike to the studio no. from Calabasas, yeah. And we're in Northridge right now. Yeah, so that's I, a good ride. Yeah, it's about fourteen miles. Each and I way. gotta and I gotta ride back each way, yeah. No wonder you have male body like a statue. Look no, at this. that's Chilling like a statue, a bent over statue, <laughs> the falling apart statue. I'm 45, you know, so you have to. Like we said in our 30s, we're in thir late early 30s, 20s. You didn't think about stuff like that, right? But now you get to 45, and you know, I play these long ass Foo Fighter shows, which are long. You yes. know, Dave likes to play as long as we can, so. We always play as long as we and it's not like can. twenty ballads where you're barely tapping. No, your drums. it's 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 gnarly and um, but it's good, you know, keeps you young. Um, the first pain gig you. you ever got when you're going back and forth Venice and back to Laguna. Do you remember the first gig you got paid? Well, like 
Well, I aside from like doing a couple dances and stuff like that in high school, my first professional gig, yes. like professional gig, yeah, I played with this lady named Sass Jordan, nineteen ninety four for like six months, and that was the first time I ever like got went on a you know got flown somewhere. <laughs> You know, like there was a plane ticket and I got a plane ticket to go fly to Chicago to start a tour. And we did uh, tour buses and vans. Nice. And um, and I think I was getting paid 350 bucks a week. And, and it was a, the time of your life, of bunk course, right? on the bus or a seat in the van. And, uh, and uh, I shared a hotel room with the drum tech. And I saw like the America for the first time like that. And I saw Europe, went to Europe. I got, and then... The second tour we did was over in Europe playing these festivals, which had like Aerosmith and like White Snake and like Thompson Twins, like I, like so many weird things that I literally went from the garage, you know, of my parents' house or trying to get a decent gig at the Troubadour or something like that, to like you know, I mean, we were playing at eleven in the afternoon and all these other big bands were playing that but night. Still, the sense of accomplishment had to feel huge. Oh for yeah, you at no, that it, point. it really did. I remember coming home and telling my dad, who always was like, "You're never gonna do crap with that," you know. Which <laughs> I mean, can you really blame him now? I look back, but I remember going, "Ha, ah, I got a gig, a real gig, and I'm going to Europe, and we're doing it. I'm getting paid three hundred fifty bucks a week just to play drums." Jerk! <laughs> and I shoved it in his face. <laughs> and is that one of the? Are, are you also a very competitive person, or that drives you to do these things? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I mean, on a certain level, friendly competition in in, right. in music. You know, I mean, you always want to do good, and you always want your friends to do good, but you always just want to do a little bit better than them. You know. <laughs> Dave said once, it's not a competition. I said, it's always a competition. He said that or you said that? He said it wasn't oh, a competition. Okay. And it is always a competition. No, I mean, it isn't really, but but it is. It's You almost compete with yourself, though, right. You know, which yeah. is good for you as a human being. I mean, and yeah, I, my earliest competition was with my dad to like say, I can do this. I can, I can, I can make something of this, or I can make something of myself without it being your... Try, you know your trip you know and you telling me where i need to go to business school and i need to do all that kind of stuff because i mean i got lucky let's be fair clear and honest i mean i'm a lucky guy like i happened to play with sass jordan who happened to open up for the dude from journey steve perry whose manager happened to be just starting to manage this girl named alanis morissette who happened to be this brilliant young little nineteen year old fucked up songwriter chick? Sorry, excuse my French. That's okay. And uh, who happened to be needing a band pretty soon thereafter, making that record? And I happened to be right there at that time, and then I happened to get the gig because I knew the walk and the talk. You know? But listen, <laughs> you say those things, and and I always say I was in. The, I can't believe I went from Tucson to L.A. But when I look at you, it's like yes, right place, right time. But man, you got the freaking skill. Well, and you know, drive. and you were dry, you were at eighteen. You're up in L.A. and Venice. It takes it takes luck and preparation. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. you go down a few. I mean, I know people that didn't go to that audition with me. That I was like, you should try out for this. Mm. You know, you're a bass player. You're a good bass player. You should try out for this. And no, it's not really my thing. And then you go, well, you blew it because, um, 
if you're a working musician, I mean, I just kind of looked at myself like that. At that point, like, I tried to have bands in high school, and they were all really horrible. <laughs> I don't know if it was because of me or whatever, but I never could start that Jane's addiction when right? I wanted to. I just couldn't find the right guys ever, you know? Yeah. Um, and I always wanted to play t to people that wanted to hear us play. <laughs> and so I spent a lot of time playing to people that were going, I don't want to hear this. Like, But I'd always, like, it's funny because I remember I was in this band called Sylvia. <sighs> who later became a band called Anyone, and they actually ended up getting a record deal, and, you know, nothing happened. But I, I, we started coming up to L.A. and doing that crap, trying to, you know, hand your demos out, and, and we had a few little bites here and there of, like, you know, Hollywood records. And, you know, that was back when people were signing a lot of bands, and, you know, there were still bands playing in clubs in L.A. Right. and all that kind and of crap. And the bands were getting a good amount of money if you signed. Yeah, it was like real sort of record deals, not like <laughs> five... I can't even imagine. It's a bad idea, kid. If you want to play music out there, do it because you want to play music. Because it is not necessarily, um, you know, a great way of making money. <laughs> and is the is the reason for a younger band that it's so tough, even though, like, I <coughs> want someone to be the next you out there. There is some. There will be. You yeah, know? There, I mean, you find be, there right? are people that find their way through it, you know, and, and there will be. And I'm just saying it's tougher now, you know. Um, but in a way... I say it's tougher, but I also look at it um, on a certain level. Okay, yeah, uh, you're going to get that initial big paycheck from Geffen Records now. No, you're not. But those guys aren't getting paid as much anymore either. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, so really you kind of have to really, I mean, if DIY ever existed, it really does now. And with things like the Internet and things like computers where you can record your band, you know, or you can do stuff really pretty easily on your own with a little bit of technical know-how. You can put it in your own hands now. It's just going to be more about doing it yourself almost now. Or it's this big pop thing. You know, things... But there, I do think there's a another... Kurt Cobain in, in that garage somewhere or in, in that basement somewhere. Or, Man, I hope you're right, or, Taylor. Or, 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 or to explode it all again, you know. I, I, I do, you know. I mean... I think there's great stuff now. I really do. I mean, I'll, I've heard I, some good stuff lately from no. younger bands, and I'm like, wow, they're playing their own instruments, yeah. they're writing their own songs, and they're in yeah, their no, parents' no. garage actually practicing. Yeah, no, it's it's, you know, it's going to be different though. Like it, it has to be different. And so whoever's going to think it up again, it's got to be that brilliant thing of when you heard Nirvana the first time and you went, it's guitar, it's bass, it's drums. It's a dude singing. It's kind of Beatley. It's kind of Black Sabbath. -y, it's kind of Zeppelin. -y, it's kind of this, but it's none of those, and it's brand spanking new, yeah. and it blew all of our minds. And that was the death nail <laughs> of <laughs> of sort of eighties pomp. It was. It was, and brought in the nineties. That was the final. If Jane's Addiction sort of started it, you know. But anyways, going back to that, what we were saying. Um, yeah, no, there's there's a Kurt Cobain out there, or a or a Jimi Hendrix or a John Lennon or whatever, you know, that's getting ready to to blow our minds. I just, I don't, you know, you don't know if you're going to know it. I mean, I don't know. Is it Kendrick Lamar? I don't know, you know. Right. For me. He does. He is a super-duper rock star. He's a super-duper rad dude, and yeah. he makes super-duper great music. But is it guitar, bass, and drums with human feel? Well, no, it's not really necessarily. It's There's so many genres sort of now. There was like... 
I feel like in the eighties and the early nineties, there was it was not supposed so genre specific. You know what I mean? Like I remember in the late eighties, you could hear Paula Abdul and Guns N' Roses on the same radio station. That's right. You know, or you know, I'm not saying it's great. I'm just saying it was just seemed a little less. Um, compartmentalized you know even the way the videos were shown on mtv it went from like opposites attract paula abdul to into like a green day uh, song yeah no yeah even in the 90s it was still like had they were still still there you know um it's just so different now i mean the kids don't need mtv anymore they have youtube yep (laughs) they can have their own mtv i mean that's so you know i'm a 45 year old dude with three kids so do I know the hippest club in LA where that new band is? No, I don't have time to. I just don't. Yeah. You know, I'm worried about getting my son to school, <laughs> stock or practice. Right. And, and, and and you've got a career that is not just like one day a week. We're gonna guys, we're gonna jam here. Like it is. You are in a, the midst of a full commitment for. Is it your 20 year anniversary yet in the band? It's my 20 year anniversary. Right. Exactly. 90, 97. Con- congratulations yeah. on that. Uh, can you believe that? No! I can't, I can't either, dude. I mean, oh, I can't believe it. It's amazing and yet frightening all at the same time. 20 years, Taylor! That's bananas. Wow. Dave should have kicked my ass out a long time ago. <laughs> I'm such a problem, too. I'm sure you've talked about this over the years, but I'm sitting right next to did it ever feel like you were auditioning even though you were in the band at some point? Like every night was an audition because you thought he was looking at you or someone was checking you out? You know, it's a really unique musical um, situation. You know, um, because here I am being the drummer in arguably one of the greatest rock and roll drummers of all times band. Right. And yet, because he wants a, to have a band and he... He's a true believer in that notion. Most guys would just go, I'll just do it all myself and hire people to do it whenever you know I go on tour. But Dave and I and all of us believe in that notion of a band and, and, and more than it being just how you play, but who you are. And you know, everyone in this band was picked more on their personality than by their musical chops. So me and Dave met, and we just fell in love right away. And um, even before, when they still had William, but like we just knew we were like long lost uh, soulmates in a way, you know. And um, so once I was in the band, I think he was just like, "Well, we'll just figure this out," you know. Yeah, I could play the drums on it, and really, when I first joined, a lot better. <laughs> I mean, the guy played on Nevermind, you know. I mean, right. I, I, that's that's a that's a uphill battle for me for sure. But he's giving me he's given me so much space to grow and tutelage as well. You know, I mean, if you're in a band with if you're on a team with Michael Jordan, don't sit there and go, "Wow, why aren't I getting to play more?" You know, you can do that, and sometimes your fragile little bruised ego will do that to you. But you always have to go, well, I just need to sit there and watch this guy and learn, which is really what I've done over the last 20 years is, you know, I've learned how to make records by watching Dave Grohl make records. You know, I learned how to put a pro drum track on an album, not scrappy crap, but like we have scrappy crap still. But like we know when it's just not when it's just scrappy enough. You know, Dave has that perfect sixth sense of knowing like when a track is done and all that kind of thing. So I've just learned so much. So I don't feel with him that I'm auditioning necessarily. 
Um, I don't mean now, but maybe in the beginning. Oh, it definitely. No, he was. No, yeah, and I mean, yeah, but I felt more to myself. Okay, that's awesome. you know a personal sort of pressure mm-hmm. that I've always put on myself in this band to you know if that dude's if that dude's here, it's got to be good, you know. And I think we all feel that way. I mean, he can play everyone's instrument pretty pretty perfectly, as you've heard on the first Foo Fighter record. Yeah. So, but I think he believes in the band. And the notion of a band, and and frankly, the camaraderie as well. The camaraderie, right? and I think that we have, as a band, found do have a sound that that only we make. When I'm playing drums, and when Nate's playing bass, and when Dave's playing guitar, and Shiflet's playing, and now Rami, and have Pat, yeah, beautiful, Pat's, full in again. Pat's beautiful noise back there, and all of that together is what we sound like now, and that's what the records sound like. So, it's an honest approach, you know. Let's talk about two songs specifically that I'm playing on the show. The first, The Sky is a Neighborhood. Right. I would just like to know one thing you think of uh, when I just give you the title of that song. It's like our Black Hole Sun or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's tri- it's trippy. Oh. It's sort of our psychedelic sort of slow sort of thing. I, it was funny because I sent it to my buddy who's the singer and Yes, who I grew up with, this guy John Davison. Yeah. And I'm like, what do you think of this song? I feel like it's like a little, it's it's out of our comfort zone on a certain level. And a lot of the stuff on this record is, um, which is good for us. You know, we're really trying to make songs and sounds that we haven't made before. And it, I think it's a step in a different direction. I don't know. What do you think? First time I heard it, yeah, I loved it. Right. Because I was like, wait a minute. I want to listen more carefully to this as it's going. Yeah, How yeah, are yeah. they recording this? I was thinking of like intricacies of the song and listening to the music. That's... And um, I didn't know it was the Foo Fighters right away if you wouldn't tell me. Right. But you recognize Dave's voice. But I think it's a really cool track. Oh, I do song. too. I do too. I, I'm really proud of it. Yeah. But because it was a step in a different direction... You always kind of go, well, do people just want us to be monkey wrench for life? For life, you know. And that's and that's not monkey wrench. No, 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 no. So, I mean, it's a sonic. You know, this album is full of little sonic experiments, and I mean, you know, and it's funny because I have friends. I actually do have a couple friends who like the Foo Fighters, and. Some of them are like, wow, this is cool. You're really going for it. Like my buddy, John Davison, he was like, I love it. Dave sounds like the mad preacher. And, he does. You know, and, and I don't know anything about recording, but the way his voice is coming out is not like on the other songs. You no, guys well, a lot of that's a lot. That's a big difference on this record is the way that Greg, our producer on this record, sort of treated Dave's voice. He had this thing, this Roland Space Echo, which is his favorite toy. And I don't even think we have one in here, strangely enough. We've had them in here before, but... It's this this little, you know, machine that you buy on eBay that were popular in the 80s with, you know, kind of new wave keyboards and guitar sounds and stuff like that and Cure records and all that kind of stuff. Wow. It's really mainly an echo unit or whatever, but he if you if you manipulate it and you mess with it, it's a little different every time. And that's how it sounds, right? That's yeah, and, and some of the things that Greg would do were performances with Dave's voice. So he would do these kind of like rides not to get too technical but these sort of echo rides and stuff and the that yeah and that room sound that he's got on dave's voice there yeah no it's unique to a foo fighter track which i which i think is good you know how long does it take you to memorize the songs to play live um well 
they're kind of these living, growing things. Mm. Uh, but it's once they're once they're, it's not a case of memorizing them necessarily um, to play live. It's just a case of making them sound right. <laughs> so it's like you kind of know the parts. You may have to like revise and listen to like exactly what the fills were or drum fills or whatever. But you kind of know it. It's just you know we probably played it live without vocals never. Sometimes never, you know, we maybe played it live in the rehearsal room a couple times before we go to record it, doing demos or what whatnot. Um, but we never play it like we're gonna go play it, you know, as presented to an audience. Sort of, I guess okay. you could say. So um, it depends. Some songs you just, you know, we sit down and we play and we go, oh, that's that that's that's easy, you know, like "Sky's the Neighborhood." We did that live right away and. Mm. And that's kind of almost a live take. Me and Dave are live in the studio, no click tracks or anything. That was, and I pretty much just learned the song. I think you know, he'd showed it to me a couple times. We ran through it for like twenty minutes, and then went, "All right, let's do a take." And the second or third take was the take, and which is not the case every time. Um, and, and then um, the line would be the most sort of Foo Fightery sort mm-hmm. of okay, like. The most sort of classic Foo Fighter sounding song on the record, I think. This is like kind of to me our spacey, trippy, weird record, which I'm into because that's pretty much most of the music I listen okay. to. Is spacey, yeah. trippy, and weird music. You know, I like that kind of music. Um, Was there uh, any uh, bickering, not in a bad way, but just between everybody and the producer Greg that you work with on any of the songs, or was like, you know, this is not. I don't even want to try this. This stinks. Was there any? Was there more of that, less of that, or just the normal? Uh... No, not really. I mean, we tend to try, and you know, it's because they're really, for the most part, just Dave's songs that we come in and help demolish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we just kind of are there to get to the final goal, and that is to sort of make Dave happy. And that sounds kind of weird, but. I think we all just kind of know that, like, that's the way the song's going to be the best anyways. It's his song, you know? Um, and we don't really bicker that much because it's just it's a waste of time. Yeah. You know, we just want to get it right. Dave knows when it's right and when it's wrong, and he knows, you know? And our goal is to just kind of reproduce what's in his head. And if you can add to it, great. You know, and there's lots of special magical moments that everybody on the record owed, uh, owns. You know, there's lots of little silly drum fills that I did where I made Dave laugh, and he's like, all right, yeah, let's keep that. That's great, <laughs> you know. And that's my goal when I'm doing a drum track is, A, to get it solid and good enough for one of the greatest drummers of all time, Yeah. but also to kind of surprise him or make him laugh a little bit. You know, there's this fill on this song called Make It Right, which is like this total Neil Pert like around the world <laughs> ridiculous and um, it's funny so Dave loved it I can't wait to hear that yeah, Concrete yeah. and Gold comes out September 15th holy mackerel you guys are back at it I will see you at Cal Jam 17 nice congratulations on everything you have done in your career man oh man I'm it is so awesome so, so happy for you I am a super blessed cat well you've done well and 
Bob Quit His Job and Range Rover Bitch. I listen to those on nonstop when your album came out. My wife and I drive to Palm Springs all the time, <laughs> yeah. and that is on repeat, and man, those are good. Really? I swear, yeah. It's funny, because, I mean, you know, they didn't really have, like, I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything. I just put it out, you know, and then, you know, I wasn't expecting radio stations or anything to play it, and they certainly didn't, but... Every once in a while, someone will say, uh, say people are listening. Liam Gallagher. <laughs> no, tell me. He came up to me at, um, we were getting ready to go on stage at Glastonbury. And he saunters backstage, you know, and we freaking love Liam Gallagher. Yeah. He's like a the real deal. Like, he's the real deal. He's Not only he's got an amazing voice, but he's just the real deal, you know? It's like, he's just a badass. He's just, like, he commands attention just standing there yeah yeah he just does he's just, he's gnarly what do you say about the about your <laughs> okay movie? i'm sorry um he walks in you can edit this right <laughs> he walks I, in yes yeah, say exactly uh, what uh, he, yeah. he walks in and he says and dave's they were like hey liam what's going on? he goes he rose up to me he walks up to me he goes he starts singing range rover bitch to me and i'm like what he goes that's my favorite that was my favorite song last year or something of that Something I can't understand half a word he says, you know, but he just told me how much he loved that song. And he said he was going through a divorce at the time. And he goes, I know what you're talking about, man. I know I knew exactly what you were talking about on that song. I wrote the song just because I live in Calabasas. And <laughs> <laughs> I just watched all these chicks, with, you know, right. trying to run each other over on the way to you know spin class that's you know? correct and uh like on their way to lululemon these, these power chicks that scare the hell out of all of us right. dudes and uh he knew exactly what i was talking that's about. awesome and you know that's that was good it, it was relatable to him and he loved it so and he started screaming Red Rover bitch! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my face, i can't even do it I eat the way it was really funny you do a great accent a great impression of liam gallagher that's what i mean hey man it's fun you know, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about in that song, man. You know what I mean? That sucked. <laughs> That's a perfect note to wrap on right there. Taylor Hawkins, man. I'm so grateful that uh, I got to hang out with you for the last 30 minutes here in the studio. Thank you for all the music that you have been giving us for so many years. What a rock star you are, man. Uh, I will see you very soon. And thanks again for being on the show. Dude, thank you for having this Laos. <laughs> That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, man. I'm feeling sad, but also like a little bit inspired at the same time. But then the heart hurts so much. Uh, and again, condolences and thoughts and sending all of the best wishes and positive vibes possible to his family, his friends, and his bandmates. Hall of Famer in every way. The guy was a rock star. He was electric. He was magnetic. He was talented. He was nice. I'm a guy that gets nervous. I'm someone who can't even believe I have a job at all, let alone like being on the radio, podcaster. And he made me feel very, very, very comfortable. We're going to miss Taylor Hawkins in every possible way. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I am Ted Stryker. Have a great day. Have a great night. And we'll see you soon. Bye.